0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times and the Pointer Institute. Pointer has become the new home for this podcast, so you can find old episodes there, now organized by topic. We're thrilled by this partnership and feel like it's the perfect place for Wright Lane. On this podcast, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at The Times. We're recording today on Zoom, so it may not be the best quality, but hang with us. Today's topic, who wants to be a cop? That's the name of the eight-part series with an epilogue that we recently published in The Times. John Pendergraft, the brilliant photographer who was on this ride with Lane, joins us today. So first, obviously, let's talk about the inspiration for this series.
0: Well, I guess like every other reporter in America, we were out covering the Black Lives Matter protests and the defund the police protests um, last summer, um, night after night after night after night. (laughs) I just kept wondering in in the midst of all this, angst and upset and anguish over police and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like, who would want to go into this profession these days? You know, I kept thinking that night after night, like, who, who's going to want to do this in the next gen? Um, so we asked, not thinking the police would let us in because they wouldn't let us follow them or shadow them during the protest. They didn't want anything to do with us during that summer. But when we went in the end of the summer and asked at the police academy, you know, can we come and see how you train these guys and who's out there? in your new batch of officers, they surprisingly said yes. Um, so they let John and I in. We spent six months following this class of new cadets while they trained them to go out on the streets.
1: So can you talk about the ground rules you guys had with the academy folks? And, and also, I, you, you both have been at the Times a long time, and I, that has won you some faith and goodwill from people. So, And I think that played in here too, right? So can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how you put a price on that. You know, John and I have both been here more than 20 years and know lots of people. And lucky for us, one of the people who used to work at the time, she was a wonderful reporter with us, is now the public relations officer for St. Petersburg College, which runs the police academy. So she went to bat for us and basically said, you know, we're just not, we're not letting like reporters come in, we're letting Lane and John come in. And that felt really, really good um, that they trusted us enough that she knew us and had worked with us. And was that it out for us you know to the president of the college um, and Maria, I remember you came with us to that first meeting which I think was also helpful so that you kind of understood the stakes and the parameters because they were they were worried obviously about giving us total access. Um, we didn't think they would, but they did uh, they did not want us to record video or audio which was I, I know a little bit disappointing um, but we were only allowed to shoot we as in John <laughs> was only allowed to shoot still photos. And they wanted us, rather than following the whole class of 30, uh, initially 30 cadets, they wanted us to follow just specific ones that they chose, which was also a little frustrating because they picked the first two people we were going to follow, uh, rather than us picking them, which usually I would rather do that, you know, that we choose our people, but but luckily for us, the one guy failed the first test. I'm lucky for him, but so we needed another person and, and John and I ended up, we had picked two people that we really were interested in that kind of stood out to us from the beginning and asked if we could shift and include them on our is our three
2: characters and they let us, which was great.
1: So John, what were your biggest concerns going in? You
2: know, echoing what Lane said, we were working under a pretty constricted uh, set of conditions. Um, I, of course, would love to write audio and video and uh, just have the run of the place to, to let a story unfold. Uh, and also relationships between uh, police and, and media, well, maybe everybody in media um, have been strained. So uh, I almost that, on that first meeting and, and we were there for the orientation. I remember talking with Lane and being like, okay, fortune favors the brave, let's do this. We ended up with, with the people we follow are, are just wonderful people and uh, so it worked out well.
1: I'm now going to hit you guys with some questions from Bennett Goldstein of the Telegraph Herald in Dubuque, Iowa. So we asked uh, for questions in the Right Lane Facebook group and Bennett sent a bunch. You guys have tackled some of them um, and about access and how we got into this. He was also asking a little more about how we identified these characters and that it that wouldn't have been feasible to interview them all. And you, as you've said, they identified a couple people for us, but what drew you guys to Kayvon and Brittany? You had Hannah, Hannah was one of those people that they had identified from the beginning, but what was it about those other two?
0: We, we got kind of lucky in one of the very first classes because one of the instructors asked them to go around the room and all say why they were there and why they wanted to be a cop. So it was like, you know, lobbing us a ball there. Like, but, so we got to hear each of their motivations. And I think that was one of the things for me. Um, well, we also, because of the whole Black Lives Matter thing, we knew we wanted black cops. And so Kavan and Brittany both were black both are Black. Um, and Brittany is a mother. She was one of the oldest people in the class. She has a seven-year-old son. And I thought that was a really interesting um, demographic to follow a, a 32-year-old woman who's a single mom. Um, she also was gay and was out about that, which was another interesting demographic. But her motivation to be a cop was because she didn't want her little boy to think all cops were bad. And I just fell in love with that as a, as a motivator for her, you know, and Kevon, I mean, you could not not look at Kevon. Kevon was an NFL player and he just stood out like as this physical specimen. The coaches called him a Greek God, you know? So when we were watching him do physical training, it was impossible not to watch Kevon who was at the head of every single run, the head of every single obstacle course, and just the motivator from, you know, the beginning, just all, always giving people high fives and attaboys and just a really positive person.
1: So Bennett asked, did you guys attend every lesson, vacuum the scenes, and then in consultation with me, throw ideas at the wall like spaghetti and see which stuck for the final inclusion in the story? Or did you identify a theme you wanted to focus on in advance when you pitched the story, and then you focused your reporting around those goals? A little of both,
2: right, I think? <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, the uh, the goals that came out of this, uh, the, this year was such a year for social justice movements and police relationships with community, there was like, that but then i found that that you know britney and and Kevon in in particular had really drove some of those themes i mean even on a personal level i ended up um deciding to meditate as a practice because britney inspired me um so you know we take away these personal things and 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 that also have to become themes in the story too i mean her uh she kind of radiates she has this amazing smile and and is a great mom and you know, Kevon is a Greek god, so he inspired me, you know, as we pursued wellness on personal levels during COVID to exercise more. Maybe that's an answer to that question, that the themes definitely emerged in their characters and, and in, you know, their presence uh, as much as what we discussed in the story and I think in my own life. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and you guys, I, you didn't go to everything, but you had, you had the schedule and you relied on talking to Coach Jack Sapp, Joe, um, and kind of getting some idea of what some of the most memorable events typically are, some of the most uh, you know, important training, that kind of thing, right? So you could dive in to the days where you thought some really cool stuff was gonna be happening.
0: Yeah, they were, they were really open about just letting us come and go as we pleased, which was amazing because they were there from 7.30 in the morning till about 4.30 in the afternoon, five days a week. Um, and lucky for John and I, we lived really close to the police academy. It was like a, a five, 10 minute drive away. So we could go in the morning and cut leave and come back in the afternoon and nobody stopped us, you know? So we, we were lucky that the coach early on helped us say, this is a really good day. You should be here for this, or this is a big test. People might fail out here. This is a moment you should be at. Um, so we could identify ahead of time when we should stop by. But we also did a lot of just like, Hey, let's go see what they're doing today. You know, just by, off by the academy and see what was going on. So um, it was a lot of variety, you know. They'd be in the rifle range one day. They'd be driving cop cars another day. They'd be in a shoot house with you know, guns and you know prisoners taken and stuff another day. So it was a lot of variety to bop in and out. Um, I think as a reporter, one of the hardest things for me was there was not a lot of downtime. So you you couldn't interrupt them while they were you know climbing a wall and stuff to ask them what was going on or what they were thinking. So I set up kind of a every weekend I would call them the the three people at home and talk to them a little bit and kind of walk them through like what was going on when you were doing this, that, and the other, because you couldn't stop them in the moment and do it. You know what I mean?
1: So I would add that thematically, you know, we're talking about change, right? We're talking about how do you change the, the, the protests were all about changing police culture and, and trying to make change in America. And so, you know, we're looking at how they get trained and they're, you know, what are they doing to institute that change? Um, how difficult is it going to be to, to change? And I think through, through their reporting, you see kind of how tough it's going to be because it is, they, they are sort of, they, they're definitely a paramilitary group. There's definitely, um, you know, there's not a lot of diversity still. Um, so, in terms of changing the culture, it's, it's not going to be easy. Um, we did the three of us got together, John Lane and I, and we sat on Lane's porch and we, they kind of like just, uh, spit out everything that they'd seen and how it had gone. And originally we thought about just structuring it chronologically, you know, month by month. And then we, we, I think we hit on a better idea, which was to focus on certain particular days that were really meaningful and would allow us to showcase different people along the way. Um, but I think that's one of the things to me that really comes through as you read this is this is a this is a difficult culture to make change and these these kids who are so uh, motivated to do it and um, you know God love them they they certainly they're they're inspirational because they really want to they want to make the world a better place but um, I I don't think you read it and think they're going to have an easy road of it at all. Um, Bennett asks, uh, in terms of fact checking, did you return to each source and run through the quotes? How did you do the fact check?
0: We, we covered this story through their graduation at the end of February. And then by the time I was done writing the series, it was almost the end of March. Um, and the, the cadets were all out on the street, already working for the Sheriff's Office and the Clearwater Police Department. And they sort of started ghosting us. Like it was much harder once they graduated, we didn't see them face to face every day in the Academy to get them. So normally where I would have wanted to sit down with each of them individually and fact check, I wasn't able to do that. Um, I did go with Brittany and I read through her quotes and sections and fact check with her. Hannah, I texted with her um, some questions and just clarification things, but Kavan didn't get back to me until after the story ran. So I didn't get to fact check with Kavan. but luckily I didn't hear that I got anything wrong. So that was very nerve wracking though. I don't, I don't know what happened there that everybody just got, so busy at the end or out of sight, out of mind. And and we we kind of lost them at the end.
1: Luckily though, you observed a lot of this. So it wasn't, yeah, you know. um, And the other
0: piece of that was I had John to observe it with me, which was awesome. And then coach Sapp, who at the beginning, I think like John said, was a little wary of the press and the media. He really got us and we really got close with coach Sapp by the end. And so I sat in coach Sapp's office with him and fact check a bunch of stuff with him in person.
1: Bennett says, some instructors conveyed some degree of sexism. Did they or anyone else want you to change anything? Did the department want to review the final text before publication? They did not ask us to do that. But I think because they knew we weren't going to agree to that.
0: <laughs> right, They didn't ask us to do that. But I did show, Cook. so it was eight chapters, the story, plus that, um epilogue. And I gave Coach Sapp his chapter, which was chapter seven. And he sat and read that in front of me, like a, a hard printed copy of that. But the Academy didn't ask for any kind of, you know, control or anything like that over it. And I also, I I purposely didn't name any of the other coaches except Coach Sapp because there were so many of them, it got confusing. But also it was much easier to say a coach made this racist, sexist remark than Mr. So-and-so, you know what I mean? It wasn't calling an individual out, but it was definitely happening.
1: Thanks, Bennett, for your questions. And we keep going with a few others. Um, As you guys have talked about, you know, you spend a lot of time with these characters. You get to know them better than you normally would you develop some feelings for them. Does that help or get in the way? Do you think? Oh,
2: there's no way a lane story would be anything but that, right, Lane? <laughs> Does
1: it yeah. ever get in your way? I mean, do you? I mean, you obviously get to know them better, so you 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 probably even, you know, you get to understand the way they react to things and the and you know where they're coming from. But um, I don't know. Just curious how you felt.
0: Well, I, I almost always. Uh, err in the side of falling in love with my characters. <laughs> and and a lot of that depends on on how far they let me in. Um, Hannah, between COVID, I think COVID and being a cop, Hannah was very wary and, and never let us come see her house, meet her dogs, meet her fiance, go have a beer with her. I, I didn't feel like I got to know Hannah on a personal level very much. Um, but Brittany and Kavan both let us come home with them. And I think for me, that was a, a big turning point with those relationships. You know what I mean? I, I came to care about Britney as a mom because you could see how much she loved and did it on her little boy. You know, Kavan was definitely struggling more than he'd let on with letting his NFL career go and like watching him go through his box of trophies and, and, um, jerseys and things like that gave me such an affinity for him in terms of what he'd lost, you know, or what he would, he was 27 years old, but like his life was kind of, what he had dreamed his life was going to be was already over, you know? And so I definitely felt uh, almost I'm almost like a mom in terms of him. Like he's almost the same age as my boys. And it felt like, Oh honey, you know, like you've got a lot of life left, but yes, I, I mean, I don't think it gets in the way. I think it, it motivates us to care about him more, you know, and, and there were definitely other people that we didn't write about in that class that we came to care about a lot too. You know, you watch them for six months, you watch what these people are going through and kind of, you can't help but be rooting for them, you know?
1: And scared for them, I guess, now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and Lane, go ahead, John, sorry. No, and Lane, I mean, uh, we
2: talked about this a little bit, but this was you know, a story we did during COVID. So really, I think my, I didn't see many faces this year, but I got to see Lane's face a lot. And I got to see Brittany's face and Kevon's face and Hannah's face. And I think that made the story a little bit different. Um, that they really were, uh, points of contact with the world too, mm-hmm. um, and I I think we always you know take things away from the relationships you build with people. But I felt like because it was a COVID year, and it going to the police academy started to feel a little bit special. Like I get to not look at a team's meeting. You know, I get to go see Lane and Yvonne and Brittany, um, and it was also in a time when, you know, all of us were experiencing loss and searching for wellness. And I think because of that, um, I pulled, you know, more inspiration, I think, from the people around us in this story than maybe it was normal. Lane, what, how do you think that COVID, Did, did this feel different because of you, because of COVID for you?
0: Oh, I felt like I was cheating the whole time. Like every time I get to like get in the car and drive somewhere and get out of the car and walk into a building and like be in person reporting, it was, it was really um I think it helped me get through the pandemic to tell you the truth. It helped keep me sane to be able to do real reporting in a real place with people who were really letting us in. And, and those kids, you know, not all of them. I mean, I should say half of that class was kind of militaristic and real super gung ho get the bad guys. But the other half of the class, including our three people really wanted to be part of the change and you can't help but be inspired by that, you know, by the, after the summer of so many people getting killed by police and, police getting so angry at protesters, but then all of a sudden here come these three 20 something kids who, well, Brittany's 32, but who, who really do want to make a difference. You know, you couldn't help but be inspired by that a little bit.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. talk about the epilogue a little bit you mentioned that we we obviously the the we were there from september to february you were writing the series before the series published you caught up with everybody a few months later after they'd been out on the street and we there were a few surprises
0: yeah so i mean the the police only get six months of training in the academy which it came apparent to everybody including the instructors that that wasn't enough time you know but then they spend another six months in their agency with the sheriff or the police department or whatever kind of doing a ride-along and and shadowing another officer so i was able to catch up with all three of them the only one who let us come in person be with her was hannah um so we got to watch hannah on the street sort of arresting a homeless woman who had stolen a cup of coffee which was Interesting, watching her, and and the amount of police required to arrest this poor homeless woman. Um, but then, Kavan and Brittany, we just caught up with by phone, and and they were both really enjoying it, uh, enjoying the variety, enjoying the sort of like, what's today going to bring, you know. But the other person that I ended up talking to from that class, who wasn't really part of the story initially, was this cute little blonde girl who, from the beginning, was the one who was like worried about upsetting people, worried about offending people, didn't want to tear gas the protesters because she felt sorry for them. You know, and so she was kind of the one that we were like, oh my God, is she you know, cut out to do that? And um, she and two other people from that class had already dropped out after, of the police force after only a couple months on the streets because it was just so much more than they had thought it was gonna be. I mean, every day they talked, John and I said this from day one up there, every single, every single day they told those kids, somebody's gonna kill you, you could die today everyone wants to kill you, have a plan to kill them because they want to kill you. And so just that mindset, the more it set in, I just, the, you know, Fab, who we, the little girl we talked to was just like, I just couldn't do that anymore. You know, it was, I was becoming somebody I didn't want to be is what she said.
1: What kind of reaction did you guys get from readers, from from the academy, from the recruits?
0: More from readers than anybody else, actually. Kevin, Kavan and Hannah didn't react hardly at all. They just sent me their address to mail them copies, which was, frustrating <laughs> um Millennials. Brit- Millennials. yeah i don't even know if they read it you know but britney read it Brittany really liked it britney sent us a nice note Her mother read it and liked it coach Sapp's dad wanted a copy to frame to put on his wall for him so that was kind of cool um but a lot of readers a lot of readers wrote just saying like gosh they had no idea what went into this training you know there, there wasn't a lot of cop hatred and there was a few cop love like oh my my brother uncle dad is in law enforcement and thanks for doing this but it was more like Holy cow! You took us into a world that we didn't know existed, and into a time and place where it really does matter. And thank you for that.
1: I think uh, Kay, was it Kayvon who didn't even realize we were publishing a paper, or somebody didn't realize, right? We were still <laughs> publishing a paper. Okay. <laughs>
0: when well, one person did decide to become a cop because of that, I got an email from one guy who yeah. read the series and decided he wanted to be a cop. So that was interesting.
1: Okay. One last question: How was the reporting different from the Lincoln Shot Project? You guys were both on that. That was a very very long. That was much longer even than this. But um, uh, that involved, of course, a terminally ill boy and the family's attempt to try to get him a miracle cure. Um, Were there similarities, differences? The the pace
0: of it, I think, more than anything. I mean, with Lincoln, there was a lot of life and death stuff happening, but most of it was just sitting in the living room watching this little guy in a bed and talking to his mom and dad, you know, Um, whereas the academy was, you didn't get that chance to to sit and talk and just chit chat and get to know the, the people you were watching them shooting, running, jumping, wrestling, you know? And, and so the, the, the pace of both the reporting, and I think it came through in the writing too, it's a lot more frenetic. This, this series was a lot more frenetic, um, a lot more action packed, you know? I felt like, like no, I think I told you this, John, normally I feel like I'm writing drama, like I'm, I'm writing a drama. Lincoln's shot was surely a, a medical drama, but
2: this felt like an action movie. Lincoln's shot felt very emotional. Uh, Lincoln was in one place the whole time. I mean, he was immobile. And um, the police academy felt very physical. I remember uh, early on, back kind of back to the first question, when we were talking about how this was going to work out, they gave us a schedule of things that were going to happen. And flipping through, it's like, oh, well, they're going to get tear gas and they're going to speed around in cars and they're going to, you know, you're looking at this and, and, you know, there were these great, you know, visual opportunities. Um, so they were, they were different in, in that way.
1: Okay, you can find the series we've been discussing at tampabay.com slash new recruits. And don't forget, you can join our Facebook group and find other episodes on pointer.org slash right lane. This podcast was produced by Martha Asensio Ryan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.